For those who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're doing this little survey of 2 Corinthians when Paul was preparing to come to Corinth to collect an offering, his own little capital campaign to take back to the saints in Jerusalem to help with those in need. And here he gives testimony of some other churches in Macedonia who had participated in this collection as a way to encourage the Corinthians and us. Second Corinthians chapter 8, this is God's word. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance might supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we consider this joy manifest in the churches of Macedonia, Paul invited the church in Corinth to participate in, Lord, that you would help us understand what it means that you are calling us to go further into that same joy. We pray that you would teach us this by exalting Christ before us, that we might understand more of who he is and what he has done, that we might follow after him in joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does this mean to go further in joy? I don't know if we really know what to do with joy. We have a bunch of songs about it. You remember that old children's song? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And you're supposed to say, where? Down in my heart. Yeah, okay, some of you are getting it. Presbyterians. Yeah, 
I think the most honest part of that song is that question. Where? Where do you have this joy? How did it get there? What is it about? Like, what does that even mean to have the joy? Joy, joy, joy down in your heart. We don't really know what to do with joy or how to get joy or how to keep joy. And yet, you cannot read the scriptures and deny that God calls his people to go further into joy. He promises to them an overwhelming joy. The psalmist writes that there is a river whose streams make glad, make joyful the city of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Even the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that word blessed could easily be translated. Happy. Be joyful. You peacemakers, you who are persecuted for my sake. God calls his people to go further into joy. But how? What does that feel like? What does that look like? How does that change the way we live? If you're going to go further in joy, like the Macedonians, You need to go further in grace. You need to go further in love. And you need to go further in giving. We're going to look at these things this morning and consider what it means then for us to go further in joy. And so the first thing I want us to consider is that if we are going to go further in joy, we need to go further in grace. Because joy comes From the Lord. We forget this sometimes, but where you find your joy matters. All too often, we look for joy in things that cannot deliver it or can only deliver it for a time. We think that more possessions, we think that more people, more likes, more money will bring us more happiness and more joy. You may have read recently this news article that went out talking about how uh, people's happiness level increases the more money they make up to a certain point, about $70,000 a year, they said, and then it kind of levels off. And oh, this news article got all kinds of play out there. But what they didn't talk about is how that's just the increase, the, the overall Happiness level of those who have a whole lot of money and those who have very little is is negligible. (laughs) You might increase it just a little because money can't deliver joy. Not the kind of joy we want. Not the kind of joy that lasts. It's like a hot water heater tank, right? I took the the little uh, water pressure valve out of my uh, shower sprayer so that all the water comes out the way it's supposed to. And I didn't realize when I did that, that not only does the pressure go up, but also like you can go through that hot water tank really, really quickly. And so what could be a luxurious warm shower is a very short luxurious. I need to get like one of those tankless water heaters where the, water, the heat's just always there, right? The things of this world that we think bring us joy, it runs out. But the Lord is the only source 
of joy unending, unshakable. And we see this in this passage. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. God had had poured His grace out upon these churches. And what we find is that they had an abundance of joy. But not through the things that we think. We think, oh, if stuff would just work out for me, if my circumstances would just calm down for a minute, oh, if I could just get more money, if I could just do more, then I will be happy, then I will have joy, then I'll be able to do these things. But no, we read here that in a severe test of affliction, in the midst of extreme poverty, yet their joy was abundant. Because it didn't come from their circumstances. It didn't come from their possessions. It didn't come from their bank accounts. It came from the Lord who had poured out His grace upon them. And there is a reminder in this for us that the joy we seek cannot be found in mere earthly things. It cannot be measured by our circumstances. If we want this abundant, abounding joy, we must Only look for it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we find in His grace to us the joy that we seek, it is a joy that stays even in the midst of affliction. It is a joy that can abound even in the midst of sacrifice and hardship and trial and tribulation. It's a joy unshakable. That's the joy God calls us to go further into. Why, though, do we struggle with it? Why do we struggle to go further into that kind of joy, to find that kind of joy? And we struggle. I had to write a sermon this week on joy, and I was struggling to go further into it. Like It's as if the Lord was saying, you need to learn this. We read news articles about Loneliness and alienation and isolation and misery. And it just doesn't seem like there is an abundance of joy to be had. Why do we struggle to go further into joy? I don't know that there's any one reason. Maybe it scares us. Maybe the sort of joy that we find in earthly things that is temporary, that is measurable, that is just finite. Maybe we're more comfortable with that because the idea of an abundant joy that abounds to us no matter the affliction, I can't wrap my head around it. It's scary. Maybe we've chosen to just believe a lie, that we don't really, that that sort of joy is unattainable, that that sort of joy is unavailable, that that sort of joy is only for the super spiritual, or that sort of joy, it's just a false promise. We can't, we can't find that till glory. There's nothing to be had here. Or maybe, maybe we just don't really want it. Because we know in some secret dark place of our heart that to find that joy, we have to turn away from all of the things that have a hold on our hearts. And we have to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We have to seek above all else The Lord, who is the source of that joy. And that might cost us the things 
of this world that we love. And that's why I suppose at the heart of this campaign is an effort to encourage us to pray, to seek the Lord, to seek from him a a greater understanding of, of what his ministry vision is, to seek from him the ability to discern what our role might be in that, to seek from him what it means for us to participate in his work in a way that is meaningful and joyful. Because we're not going to find that joy anywhere else but from him. If you would go further in joy, you need to go further in God's grace. Joy comes from the Lord. The second thing I would like for us to consider is that if you would go further in joy, you need to go further in love because joy abounds not in isolation, but in relationships. It's one reason we see so little of it around us today because there are so many relationships broken. Parents and children, husbands and wives, neighbors, co-workers, Friends, so much strife, so much polarization, so much selfishness. It might make you wonder, can joy even survive some of the relationships that I have that are so broken? Where it seems like misery and not joy reigns. And yet, it is in that Relationship. It is in those connections. It's in that vulnerability and intimacy with other people and with the Lord that joy abounds. G.K. Chesterton comments on this by observing a parent and a child. Maybe you've done this before, where you, you toss the child way up in the air, or you spin them around. And it's just this boring monotonous thing, and the child just cackles with glee, and it's contagious. And what do they say every time? You throw them up in the air, you spin them around, what do they say? Do it again. Do it again. Do it again, and again, and again. And you do over and over and over until your arms and your legs give out, because their joy in that is contagious. And in that moment, you connect and joy abounds because of the love you have for one another. And so Paul here says this thing that amazed him, that the the churches in Macedonia, they gave, they contributed an incredible amount of, of financial resources to this campaign to help the churches in Jerusalem and Judea. But Paul says, but they didn't do it the way we expected. They didn't just show up and say, hey, Paul, here's a check. They gave themselves. They gave themselves. First to the Lord. And then to us. 
And he's not talking about money here. They had received this grace from the Lord. And they wanted more of that. Do it again. And they just gave themselves over to the Lord. Show us more. Do it again. And their joy abounded. And they gave themselves to Paul, to his ministry, to support him and encourage him and to pray for him and to encourage him. And Paul, as a recipient of that kindness, of that love from them, he too is then filled with that same joy. Joy abounds in that relationship. It abounds through love. Because joy at, at its essence, and I've, I've said this before other times and in other places, joy, when you boil it down, is the fruit of a soul at peace. At peace with God, at peace with others. When you realize that you don't have anything to prove, To the Lord God Almighty, the Holy One of Israel, when you recognize that He has done everything necessary to reconcile you to Himself because of His great love. For God so loved the world. When you realize you have nothing left to prove. When you are at peace with Him, it is the fertile soil where joy can blossom. When you realize that you don't have anything to prove to those around you. You don't have to measure up to their expectations. You, they know your weaknesses and failures and respond with love and kindness. When you realize that, that even when you, you fall down and, and mess up, and yet they will still be there, abounding to you with kindness and love. It is the fertile soil for joy to blossom. We struggle to know that kind of joy. We we struggle, don't we, to go further into that kind of joy. We're always, perhaps, we're always afraid. What, What does God expect of me? What do my parents expect of me? What do... Does my spouse, there, there's some secret expectation. I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to be able to, to do enough. I'm never, and, and we just, we never have that peace. We never know their love because we have become so consumed with fear. Or maybe we are full of shame because we've done things. We have said things. We have caused hurt and harm. And we think to ourselves, God can never Make this right. God could never love such a one as me. I could never see this relationship restored. There's never enough that I could ever do. And we cower away in shame thinking there can never be love, unconditional, held among us. We cower in alienation. What if we saw ourselves objects of the Father's love received in such abundance that we have nothing to add to it 
nothing left to do but to give ourselves in love, first to the Lord and then to those around us, seeking nothing in return because we have everything from our God who is gracious to us. See, this is what this collection that Paul is, is getting is ultimately about. Paul knows God can, God can provide money. Money is like the easiest thing for God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All things belong to him. He made all things. Peter was all worried about the temple tax, and Jesus was like, go catch a fish. Oh, look, there's a coin there. Like, money is not the thing that makes God anxious. The campaign was about uniting the church together. This Jewish and Gentile division that existed at that time, this hostility that needed to be brought to rest, where the peace of Christ needed to reign, where their love for one another needed to take hold so that they would know the joy. This campaign was about the the Gentile church showing the Jewish church, your God is our God. And we love you enough to give. It was about working unity in God's people, being united in God's vision for his church and for the world. And so in this campaign, it's not about everybody doing the same thing. Or doing like your HOA sometimes does when, you know, the townhouses all need a new roof or the condominiums need new siding where they just add it up, divide it up and say, this is what you owe. $666,000. This is your portion. It's about seeking the Lord and knowing who we are in him and seeing him unite us together in love, in his ministry vision, to take that love out into the world and say, see, there is something better for you. Joy abounds in relationship. The last thing I want us to consider is that if you want to go further in joy, you need to go further in giving. Because joy thrives best when shared. Now, I'm not just talking about giving money. I'm not even primarily talking about that. We, we just have a tendency to hold on tight to the things we cherish and the things we value. You come into my office and I have all these little toys and trinkets for kids, right? Because I want my office to be a fun and safe place for the children. But I also have a bunch of spaceships that are mine and you cannot touch them. They are on the high shelves. They, they, they are precious to me and, and, and not, not to be handled by anyone not named Jeff Ferguson. Sorry. That's kind of selfish when you say it out loud, isn't it? They're just toys. We do this with all kinds of stuff. With our possessions, with our time, with our relationships. We hold them tight and thinking that if we just protect them, they'll keep giving us all the same amount of joy. As if joy was a zero-sum game. 
But here we have a different example. The Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Why would he do that? He's demonstrating this this gospel reversal of all things. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to save your life, you must first lose it. If you want to be rich and wealthy in the things that are of eternal value, you must become poor in the things of the earth. If you want to be strong, no weakness. If you want to conquer, be a peacemaker. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he, who had all things, all glory, all power, all blessing, give of himself, emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, and being obedient even to death on a cross? Why would he put himself, the Lord of glory, on display in weakness and in misery and in perceived failure? Because in his death, He put death to death. He put sin to death. And he rose again in victory that he might share every blessing. Why would he do this? The author of Hebrews tells us it was for the joy set before him. That joy is us. And he didn't just... Hold tight, hold his glory, hold it. He gave. And in that giving, joy thrives. And he calls us to, to replicate what he has done. He calls us to follow after him, to not hold fast to things that we've gotten, but to be like him who has risen from the dead as the first fruits, a promise of more resurrection to come who has risen from the dead as the conquering king, who gives gifts now to men, who shares all of his inheritance with his brothers and sisters, that we might know the joy that he has purchased for us. And he calls us to walk after him. And so Paul lifts up the the Macedonian example to the Corinthians to call them to finish what they'd started, to not become selfish, to not hold tight, not that they had to equal what the Macedonians give. He, he's not even, it's not a competition. It's like, I'm not saying you have to be burdened. Maybe the, the Corinthian church had encountered some hard times and they were like, well, maybe we can't do what we promised. And Paul's like, oh, so what? You can't do what you promised. But you can do something. And he talks in terms of these acts of grace. See that you finish this act of grace. This act of grace will benefit you. He's talking about not earning grace, but living it out. You who have received the grace of God, who know the love of God, live it out and this will be a benefit for you. The joy you seek, the joy you want, the confidence that you long for, it comes not from hoarding, but from giving freely all that God has given you. And he uses ancient Israel and their wanderings in the desert as an example. As they collected manna, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. 
Whoever gathered little had no lack. The Lord knows what his people needs. And he who possesses unending joy, who gives it graciously to his people, who surrounds them with his love, he doesn't call us to walk after him in this posture of giving, in this posture of sacrifice, that we might be used up and burned out, but that we might thrive in his joy, that we might be like a tree planted by streams of living water who bear fruit, who know no lack. Gospel joy, it's, it's a renewable resource. How do we struggle to go further into that kind of joy? It's a risky proposition. I mean, Jesus never promises that following after him will be easy. He promises it'll be a little bit, a lot like dying to yourself. All the things you think you want, all the things you think you deserve, take up your cross. Follow me. I have something better. We think that there's only so much joy. And so we have to possess it. And we forget that like a rising tide, when the Lord appears, the rising water raises all the boats. When he comes with his joy, there is no lack. So this campaign, it's not primarily... About money. We're talking about money. Jesus talks about money. Paul's talking about money. I'm not afraid to talk about money. But if we had all the money in the world and had zero debt and could fund every ministry on the peninsula and beyond and didn't have the joy of the Lord, we would be pitiable creatures. If we had all of the money and weren't united in love, to participate in his ministry vision, to take out into this world the, the, the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus, we would be sad creatures. If we twisted arms and manipulated and preached a prosperity gospel that if you give, then you'll get all these one, we would be sad and corrupt creatures. What this is about, and what we are calling you to, what the Lord is calling us to, is to so know His grace that brings with it joy unspeakable, unearned, undeserved, that surrounds us with a love and unites us in a love incorruptible, that we can follow Him in sharing that abundance with others. That's what it means to go further in giving. That's what it means to go further in love. That's what it means to go further in grace. And when we get that, the Lord in His grace and in His love and from His giving will enable us to go further in joy. May He make it so. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would unite us together in this ministry vision and that you would surround us, Lord, not with 
worldly love, worldly giving, worldly grace, or worldly joy. But that you would exalt Christ before us that we might see his grace, his love. We might understand what he has given, that we might live in the abundance of the joy he offers. That we might follow him as our king. That we might not shirk away from adversity, even if it means we have to take up our cross and die to ourselves and follow after you. Lord, because we trust that your promises are true and sure. We ask that you would work this in us, that we might be salt and light in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.